Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We begin a new series on the book of 1 Peter. In order to really understand the book of 1 Peter, you've got to know the context. You got to know what's going on. Peter wrote these words to a group of believers who were going through some difficult times. In fact, they were going through troubling times. They were being persecuted. Now, that way, they were not being made fun of. They were not being ridiculed because of their faith. They were being persecuted, some even to the point of death. And so Peter writes these words to these believers to encourage them to stand firm, to, to, to really hold fast. To what they believe. Now, I entitled this whole series as Timeless Truths in Troubling Times. Because we are living in troubling times. And so I want you to have some truths that will sustain you through the troubling times that we are going through in this world in which we live. Today we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And as we look at these words, we'll see that Peter lays a solid foundation for us to stand on before we even get in to the heart of of the material. He's going to talk about who we are in Christ. And we need to understand that. You see, being reminded of who you are in Christ can help us as we endure the troubling times. Do you really know who you are in Christ? I mean, do you really understand who you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I believe that most Christians suffer from what I call spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are, and when we forget who we are in Christ, we fall into Satan's traps. We fall into the traps that he sets for us that will bring us down as we try to live this thing we call the Christian life. And so when we understand our relationship to the Heavenly Father, it helps us understand how we can relate to the world. So go ahead and follow along with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. As I look at these words this morning under the heading, who we are in Christ. This is what Peter says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now what I'm going to have you do today I'm going to have you circle some key words. I know some of you just really cannot fathom writing in your Bible and doing things like this. But there's a reason that I want you to do this. I want you to circle those key words. And when you get down and you get distressed and you get depressed, you can go back to this and you can see who you are in Christ. And these words will help you. These words will encourage you to be all that you can be. And they will give you confidence as you go through it. The first word I want you to circle is the word strangers. We learn that in Christ, we are strangers. He writes, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Now, this idea of strangers has a double meaning. The first idea is that it describes a person who is living temporarily in a land in which he did not belong. These individuals were, were geographically displaced. Why were they geographically displaced? Well, we know that some of them were there on the day of Pentecost. And after the day of Pentecost, they went back to their home 
aware of that was. But we also know that many of them came out of the persecution of Nero during A.D. 64. He began persecuting the church at Jerusalem, and so people were forced out of their homes in Jerusalem, and they wound up in various parts of the country, various places where God had sent them. So they were strangers. They were geographically displaced. They were in a region, in an area that they did not know. Let's see if I can flesh this out for you. I've been here over four years, but Waco is not the easiest place to navigate. It's kind of strange. It's not really laid out north, south, and east and west. It's kind of laid out northeast, uh, southwest. It's kind of like East Waco is not really east. Uh, I don't know if y'all know that. It's not really east, and this is not really south. Uh, it's kind of weird. So it's kind of hard to kind of navigate around here. So I sometimes have to pull out the GPS or at least Google Maps to find out where somebody lives or where I'm going. But man, if you were to get me back home to Irving, Texas, my goodness, I know my way around Irving, Texas. I know it like the back of my hand. Now, it's true that Irving has grown immensely since I was there, but I can get around Irving, Texas. I know it well. It's the same way with these individuals. They were in an area that they weren't as familiar with. And Peter acknowledges that these believers are strangers. They're strangers. They did not belong to the place where they were. They were temporary residents in a place that really wasn't their home. They were displaced geographically. But get this, they were also spiritually displaced. They, they, so because they were spiritually displaced, this was not their home, they had to be careful at what they did. They had to behave in a certain way. Peter did not want them to succumb to the temptations and the trials and, and all the things that might persuade them or sway them away from God. He did not want them to adapt or adopt to the customs of that region. In fact, in 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So, so Peter is telling them to don't get involved in what's going on. Don't take up those customs. Don't buy into the culture around you. Why? Because this is not your home. This is not where you live. So watch what they do and watch where they go. What was true of these first century believers is true of every believer today. The Bible says this is not our home. That we are just passing through. We are strangers. We are aliens in this world. That this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. So we are temporary residents. We are strangers in this area. We're passing through. Our treasures are laid up for us in heaven. We are strangers in the world. We do not belong here. So he describes us. He describes these first century believers as strangers. But that's not the only way to describe. Notice how else to describe. He says they're scattered. To God's elect, strangers of the world, scattered, and then he mentions five regions that are today in modern-day Turkey. Kind of gives you the geographical context. These individuals are scattered, and we learn that in Christ we are scattered. Now, I just briefly talked about this. Why were they scattered? We saw that some of them were scattered because of Pentecost. We saw that some of them were scattered because of the persecution of Nero. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
So even though they were persecuted, even though they were scattered, they did not forget the message. They did not forget the message of the gospel. And wherever they were, they still held true to that. But here's the thing. This scattering of the believers did not catch God by surprise. I, I know that God never wakes up and has an aha moment. I want you to know that. Uh, he never has a light bulb going over his head with a bright idea. He is the bright idea. Okay? He never has that. So this did not catch him by surprise. There was a purpose. There was a plan. There was a strategy in what God was doing. This word used for scattered elsewhere in the Bible is used of scattering seed in a field. And so it introduces the purpose of God scattering. For whatever reason it was, he scattered. You find that word in Luke chapter 8. You know the story. It says something like this, that a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, some fell on the rock, some fell among the thorns, and some fell on good soil. These are the words of Jesus and what he said. Why did the farmer scatter the seed? He scattered the seed to bring forth crops. That's the reason he did it. He didn't do it just because he made a living by, by, by selling seed. He made a living because he wanted his seed to produce a crop. So God is saying to these believers, I have scattered you into these various areas where you are so that you can bring forth fruit. So that you can bring forth a crop that we can celebrate. Yeah, some of you are in difficult areas. Some of you are in more easier areas. But it's nevertheless, I scattered you there. Here's the truth for you and I, my friends. You and I are scattered in this world. We are spread around the world. We are strangers in this area, but we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are a part of this world, and yet we are not to be aloof from this world. We're not to be separated from it. God has planted us. He has scattered us. And because He's planted us, because He's scattered us, we have a responsibility. Guess what? He did not scatter us but to sit, soak, and sour. That's not why he did it. He scattered us where we are to make a difference where he's placed us. To make a difference in the community where he placed it. In order for that to happen, hear me on this, in order for that to happen, you've got to get out of the salt shaker. You ever done that? You got a piece of, you got a salt shaker set to your table. My wife loves salt. I like pepper. I guess that's the way it is. But you know, I, but you got the salt sitting there and it's sitting there and it said, man, it looks, that look good on my baked potato, wouldn't it? But you know what? In order for that salt to be good on my baked potato, what do I got to do? I got to pick it up and I got to sprinkle it on my baked potato. It doesn't do any good if it stays in the salt shaker. And what we need to understand, we don't do any good to the community sitting here in this salt shaker. We've got to get out into the community and communicate to the people the love of Jesus. We got to do it. We don't have any other options. Why? Because that's why God scattered us here to begin with. That's why we're here. We gather here for worship. And we gather here for instruction. But then we scatter out into the world to make a difference. We are salt. And salt is used as preservative. It's used as a healing. It so has so many purposes. Also seasoning, I guess you could say. Not always be salt. It says we ought to be light as well. We are strangers. And we are scattered. What's the third, sec, a third word I want you to circle is the word chosen. 
He said to God's elect strangers of the world scattered throughout who have been chosen. In this we learn that in Christ we are selected. In Christ we are selected. That means that we are special to God. Now I know it has numerous implications. I know this idea of being chosen, this idea of being selected has numerous implications. In the Old Testament, it was used of the nation of Israel. That God selected, God chose the nation of Israel. They were special to Him. It's not because of anything they did. It wasn't because they were the greatest, because they were the, the strongest. It was simply because God loved them. And God selected them out of all the nations. It was God's choice. Now Peter takes that Old Testament term under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He takes that Old Testament term and then he applies it to these individuals who are strangers and who are scattered. He said, but hey, you're also selected. You're chosen. And the emphasis on this is God's part in our salvation. Because it puts the burden of salvation back on God. I'm glad, aren't you? I'm glad that the burden of salvation lies with God and not with me and not with you. Because if the burden of salvation relied on us and what we could do, we could never do it. We could never measure up to God's standards. So it's all on God. Everything to do with it has to do with God and not upon us. So Peter uses this, this term. And he's talking about God's part in our salvation. Now when the Bible talks about salvation, it's viewed from two different perspectives. On the one perspective, it's looked at it from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, He chooses. He selects individuals to be in relation to Him. But it also talks about it from man's perspective. In man's perspective, we have free will to select, to choose, to follow Jesus. Both, both of those are taught in the Scripture. God's selection, God's election, and man's free will. They are both taught in Scripture. And hear me on this, and the Bible never reconciles the two. It never reconciles them. That was never God's intent. God's looking at it from one perspective. We look at it from another perspective. God's sovereignty and man's free will are taught in the Bible. Now Peter, in this passage, he's looking at it from God's point of view. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, chosen or selected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Selected, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I want to focus just for a little while on that word foreknowledge. I am going to try the best I can to explain this in a way that we can understand. Okay, it's not real easy, and you know I'm not the greatest theologian out there, okay? If you want a theologian, go to Baylor, okay? Get a, go to, well, no, don't go to Baylor. Go to Southwestern Seminary and get a theologian, okay? Uh, if that's what you want. But if you want somebody that's going to try to put this in a practical term, then I might be able to do it. The word that we get foreknowledge, the word from which we get our word foreknowledge is the word prognosis. Uh, and so what we see happening is that when you, like when you go to the doctor, he will examine you, and then he will give you a prognosis. What he's doing is he's predicting ahead of time what's going to happen if you or I continue in our current uh, course of action. For instance, I go to the doctor. I sit down with Dr. Hallam, and he says, Bruce, if you keep eating that bluebell ice cream, you're going to have a cholesterol problem. He said, Bruce, if you don't quit drinking all that coffee, you're going to be a nervous wreck. 
You see what he's doing? He's making a prognosis based upon the things that I do. He said, this is what's going to happen to you if you do this. Prognosis. If you keep living a life of sin, this is what's going to happen to you. However, if you respond to faith in Jesus Christ, this is what's going to happen to you. It's a prognosis based upon things you're going to do. So it means giving a prognosis based on the information that he has to know ahead of time what is going to happen. And we know that God has all knowledge. God does not learn anything. If God did, did not know everything, then he would not be God. This is what theologians call the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. He knows everything. God never learns anything. He knows it all. So he knows what you're going to do. So foreknowledge means he knows ahead of time what is going to happen. God does not have to go on a fact-finding mission. Peter is telling these believers, we are saved according to the foreknowledge of God. God knew ahead of time that we would be saved. Now, if you're like me, my head is exploding. That is a hard concept to understand. It's, it's hard to grasp. It's difficult to get our arms around. It's difficult to understand. What does this foreknowledge and selection mean to us? This is where we go to the Apostle Paul. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, as Paul adds something to this dialogue. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, listen to what Paul says. He said, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. A couple things I want you to notice in this passage. Just stay with me on this Ephesians passage. First, I want you to see that we are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's sight. We are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless in His sight. It also says that in love we were adopted through Jesus Christ. So God had foreknowledge that those who come, and come to faith in Christ would be holy, they would be blameless, and they would be loved by God. That's what Paul is saying in that passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says this, Jesus was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. He was handed over to us. So why did God do all this? Why did God hand Jesus over for that purpose? He did it so that people could come, come to Jesus and have a relationship with God. Here's the thing. He planned it all out in advance. God planned all of this out in advance for us. So foreknowledge carries the idea of love and approval. So through Christ, you are loved and you meet God's approval. Hear that you are not an afterthought in God's plan. He planned it out all along. And God's, he, you were in God's plans from eternities. He set his affections on you long before you set your affections on him. Listen, you are so special. You are so special that in eternity past, God ordained his son to die on the cross for you. Wow. 
before you were even born, God ordained that Jesus would die on a cross for you. That means God was a, He set His love upon you. He says, I love them. They are valuable in my sights. That should raise your self-esteem. That should raise who you are as an individual. It says that you are important to God. You mean something to Him. And that should sustain you through troubling times. It should help you when you go through those difficult times. Stock and think of this way. Out of all the people in the world, He picked you out. He selected you. And He picked you out. He chose to love you. He wasn't forced to love you. He chose to love you. So how do you respond to this great news? How do you respond to the fact that God loves you and He selected you? I want you to picture with me. A picture of a bride on her wedding day. You getting a picture? There she is. Dress, and her, her, the most beautiful dress she's had up to that day. Uh, she's looking in the mirror. She's gorgeous. The hair is perfect. The makeup is, is perfect. Everything about her is perfect. She's more beautiful than she's ever been previously. Do you see her? Do you see the bride? Why does she do that? Why does she get all dressed up for that? You want me to tell you why? Because she realizes that he selected her. Out of all the girls in the world, that man selected her to spend his life with. That's why she does it. How should we respond when we recognize that Jesus selected us? How would we respond to that truth? The great truth of God's foreknowledge is that He chose you, He selected you, and He loves you. And He placed His affections upon you before the beginning of time. He chose you. He selected you. When you are experiencing difficulty in your life, when you're going through those troubling times, remember that God has selected you. You are valuable to God. You are precious to Him. And He has placed His love upon you. You are important to God. You are special. You are special. But there's another word I want you to circle. It's the word sanctifying. Or sanctifying. In Christ, we are sanctified. Notice what he says. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified? Literally, it means to be made holy. Now, in the Old Testament, it referred to uh, something that has uh, setting something aside for God. For instance, the utensils that were used in the tabernacle, the utensils that were used in the temple later, there was nothing special about them. They were like any ordinary utensil that would be used. The difference was they were set apart for God's use. They could not be used for anything else. You could not take what was set apart in the temple or in the tabernacle and use it for daily use in the everyday circles of life. So what, Paul, what Peter is saying is when a person accepts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for his or her sins, something special happens to this individual. Something remarkable happens to this, this individual. At the very moment 
when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, at the very moment when you accept Him for the forgiveness, accept His sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, you become a child of God, and then mysteriously, supernaturally, in a way that we can't understand, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and puts the seal of ownership upon you. He says, I own you. You now belong to me. You are sealed with my relationship. So it means God marked you with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed for all eternity. You are set apart for the Father. In the twinkling of an eye, you were changed. In the twinkling of an eye, you became holy. And listen, in the twinkling of an eye, you became a citizen of heaven. At that very moment. And to this day, the Holy Spirit has not left you. Now, it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It is possible to quench the Holy Spirit. But hear me on this. It's impossible to shake the Holy Spirit. He will not leave you. He can't. It's God's seal of ownership upon you. And He'll continue to live in you. And He'll teach you. And He'll guide you. And He'll convict you where you need to be convicted. And He helps you live your life as a stranger. We're not of this world. We don't belong here. And He sets you apart. And He tells you when you are stepping out of line with the will of the Father. And He communicates with you. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, these words. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let me ask you a question. When you look in a mirror, do you see a temple of God? Some of you might see a big temple. Others of you a smaller temple, okay? Do you see a temple of God? When you look in a mirror, do you see the residing place of the Holy Spirit? Paul says, that's, Peter says, that's what you are. Paul says, that's what you are. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That makes you special. That makes you holy. It also makes you a stranger in this world. You don't fit in. Uh, you don't fit in. You're, you're, you're special. You're unique. You're holy. You're not like the world. You just don't fit in. You do not belong to this world. You belong to God. And He's chosen you to be His child. Therefore, you don't act like the world. You act like a child of God. And He did so by choosing to allow Jesus Christ to die on your behalf. He did this by inviting you to accept His sacrifice so that you could become a child of God. is what he's doing. But here's the thing. As you read all this, you begin to realize it's really not about you. I hate to burst your bubble. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not for our benefit. Instead, it's for the benefit of God. Circle the next word. Obedience. Look at what he says. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God for obedience to Jesus Christ. For obedience to Jesus Christ. Here's what you learn. In Christ, we are 
servants. In Christ, we are servants. There's that word obedience again. We just can't get away from it. No matter what we do, we just cannot get away from this idea of obedience. All these things, we're strangers, we're scattered, we're selected, we're sanctified. What? To be servants. To be servants. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. The very best proof of your love for your Lord is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Obedience. Obedience. And what Peter is talking about here is not a single act of obedience. He's talking about an obedient way of life. It's learning to say yes to God daily as we experience life with all of its hardships and with all of its difficulties, we continue to say yes to God. Remember who's Peter writing to? He's writing to individuals who are being persecuted for their faith. They're being put to death. They're being put in jail. They are dying because of faith. And Peter say, but remember, don't quit being obedient. Don't quit being obedient. Even in the face of difficulties. Even in the face of troubling times. Don't you forget to be obedient. Let me ask you a question. What has your obedience to Jesus Christ cost you today? What does it cost you? I believe that living in obedience to Jesus Christ, living a distinctive Christian lifestyle in today's world will cost you something because of the culture in which we live in. It's going to make demands of you. It's going to ask you to be different. Living a distinctive lifestyle should cost you something. Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship, one of Richard Nixon's hatchet men, went to jail, and he said this in his prison. He said, the very nature of the obedience he demands is that it be given without regard to circumstances or results. The obedience that Jesus demands of you, you do regardless of the circumstances or the results. You are to be obedient. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 15. And I don't know how to say it any better than he said it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Boy, you want to talk about hitting us where it lives. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience. Obedience. So what timeless truths can we glean from this passage of Scripture today? First, we are not here by accident. We are not in this location by accident. We're not part of this, this world that, that God has... We're part of this world that God has scattered us here. And there's a reason that we're here. We are chosen to be His representatives. He set us apart for a special purpose. He set us apart for a special purpose to make a difference in the world, in the location where He's placed us. And all we have to do is be obedient. Be obedient to what we know we should be doing. No matter what you are going through, no matter what the, the, the terrible times that you're going through, the troubling times you're going through, you can hold firm to this timeless truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard.
I don't know how God would have you respond. Maybe for some of you, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to be one of those individuals that God has placed His hand upon. And it could be that this is the day that God has set aside for you to do that. Don't miss God's divine appointment for you. We're going to give you an opportunity to come. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. Cassie and Marilyn are going to come and play. I'm going to be here at the front. Josh is going to come down and be with me. Just in case we need a little bit more time, we can, we can cover you. We're here to talk with you. We're here to counsel with you. We're here to pray with you. Whatever decision you make, we invite you to come. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a prayer? Father God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this time. This opportunity you've given to us, Father, to share your word, to worship you, to experience baptism, Father, to give our gifts. Now, Father, speak to our hearts personally. Convict us, Father, of wrong. Challenge us, Father, where we need to be challenged, Father. Just encourage us, God, where we need to be encouraged. We give you this time to touch hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.